Welcome to Rail Group On Air, a production of Railway Age, Railway Track and Structures, and International Railway Journal. This is Railway Age Editor-in-Chief, William C. Vantuono. The 57th annual recipient of Railway Age's Railroader of the Year Award is Kansas City Southern President and Chief Executive Officer Patrick J. Ottensmeyer. Pat is a leader in positioning North American railroads as a critical part of a globally competitive integrated supply chain. In early December 2019, I sat down with Pat at Kansas City Southern headquarters in Kansas City, Missouri to talk about his career and his vision for the future. Pat, on behalf of Railway Age and Simmons Boardman Publishing, I'd like to congratulate you on uh, your selection as our 2020 Railroader of the Year. Congratulations. Thank you, Bill. It is uh, really an honor. Uh, I've been in and around the railroad uh, business, uh, working for railroads for more than 20 years, and I'm very familiar with the, uh, the list of, of people who have won this award, and uh, I'm, I'm just uh, extremely honored to be on that list and be part of that group. So let's talk about your, uh, your, your professional background. Now, you come from the finance uh, world, correct? That, that is correct, yeah. yeah. I, uh, I graduated with a bachelor's degree in finance from Indiana, and I started my career in the commercial banking business in Detroit, Michigan. Uh, where I went to work as a uh, trainee and credit analyst at National Bank of Detroit, which is now part of, uh, ultimately part of J.P. Morgan. You also worked uh, uh, worked in New York, I think. But I ended up leaving <laughs> to go uh, to go to Chicago about five years later, to work for a West Coast bank uh, called Security Pacific National Bank, and then ultimately stayed with Security Pacific, uh, and moved to New York for a few years. Now. Your first uh, exposure or experience with the rail industry is, ra is rather interesting. This goes back to the 1980s, Southern Pacific, Santa Fe. Talk about that a bit. Yeah, I, uh, I, one, of, one of my clients uh, when I was in Chicago in banking was Santa Fe Southern Pacific. So they became the target of a hostile takeover attempt. And the bank that I worked for, Security Pacific, and J.P. Morgan, were the co-leaders of a very large $4.8 billion leverage recapitalization that was completed in 1987 to defend themselves from a hostile takeover attempt. And then the years after that became literally like a banker's dream. It was a, a, a lot of deals, a lot of restructuring, and it, it almost became a full-time job for me for about four or five years. Shortly after that, uh, they struck the deal with, uh, with Burlington Northern and merged into BNSF. So that was 1993. So fast forward, uh, how'd you get to Kansas City Southern? I left the railroad industry after a few years with BNSF. Uh -huh. And then uh, in 2006, uh, had an inquiry to uh, come back into the public company finance realm as chief financial officer of uh, Kansas City Southern, and I jumped at it. Why is that? What, what attracted you to, uh, to KCS? What did you see at KCS that made you think, this is a great opportunity? At the time, I was 49 years old, and I had been out of the public company finance world for a few years and thought the timing was right to come back in as CFO of a, of a publicly traded company, and generally just had some awareness of, of Kansas City Southern. And in 2005, 
Mike Haverty accomplished something that a lot of people at the time thought was not ever going to happen, and he got control of what is now Kansas City Southern De Mexico and, and put together this cross-border network that dramatically changed the strategic significance of the company that we are today. Right, because it was, uh, the Mexican portion was TFM, which KCS's ownership was uh, 49%, 49% at yeah. the time. And I came on as CFO and I, and I realized, again, partly because of my years in the railroad industry, that that was a, just a huge game changer for the company. And uh, uh, Kansas City Southern uh, de Mexico, the, uh, the traffic growth, uh, that's where it is these days. That's been the biggest, uh, big, biggest success, uh, since, certainly since 2005, 2006. Uh, and, you know, one, one way that I kind of describe the company, we've been around for 132 or 133 years, but the company that you see today, the seamless cross-border network connecting the two countries, right in the heart of North America, that all began in 2006. And, and uh, to your point, our cross-border business growth, our volumes for the last two years have been in the low to mid-teens. 12 to 15, maybe in some quarters as much as 18%, in spite of the fact that our overall volumes are flat. So, Pat, a lot has happened since, uh, since 2016 and the election and the change in power in Washington. Uh, a lot of it has to do with the relationship with, with Mexico, cross-border trade, cross-border traffic. Uh, uh, you have been an integral part of that. Uh, shaping uh, the uh, USMCA or US-Mexico-Canada agreement, which is the successor to, to NAFTA. So your role in all of this has been, been significant. Really out of necessity, it's so important to our company and to our customers and to uh, the communities that we serve. You know, we were one of a few US publicly traded companies that didn't participate in the celebration and the party that took place after the election in 2016. In fact, if you remember, uh, President Trump was elected, there was a Republican Congress, a Republican in the White House, stock markets were up, all the other railroads were up the day after the election. We lost literally 12% of our market cap in about the first hour of trading. Because we were so wow. closely associated with Mexico and NAFTA, and it was uh, you know, a lot of confusion. Mm -hmm. uh, I came to work the next day not intending to write a letter that started with the, the caption, Dear Fellow Kansas City Southern Colleagues, but I did because I was told that there was a lot of concern about what this meant for our company. And in that letter, I can't remember the exact language, but I said something like, I'm going to try to get involved in the process and influence the outcome and protect our interests and protect the interests of our customers and our employees. Uh, I'd been CEO for four months. I literally had no idea what that meant. And I <laughs> you just figured it out though. And so we started calling people and lo and behold, we were able to get meetings with uh, the White House and members of the cabinet as, as they came together. Uh, leadership in the Congress, uh, and the same thing in Mexico. We really uh, uh, were outspoken in Mexico as well because we are really a Mexican company and a U.S. company that happen to be joined together at the top. We are not going to rip up our track and move it to Pennsylvania. 
Uh, we're there for the long haul. We, uh, we're an important part of the economy. All those other companies that come to Mexico, Mexican companies and foreign companies, rely on our network and our service to be efficient, get their products to market, get their raw materials, all of those things. We, we were a little quicker to become outspoken in defense of the U.S.-Mexico relationship. And I think that, that, did, that did a lot for us in, in, in with respect to building uh, a different type of relationship with the Mexican government and business community. Probably one of the reasons that I was asked and chosen to be the U.S. co-chair of an organization called the U.S.-Mexico CEO Dialogue. They recognized we had a different role. We were speaking not just for ourselves, we were representing our customers, and we really played a different role than a lot of other U.S. companies. Let's move on to uh, everybody's favorite subject these days, PSR, Precision Scheduled Railroading. Now, uh, KCS has its own version of it, which is I, my understanding is it's a bit different. Uh, what, 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 what's different about it, and what is your strategy for, for implementing that? We're a year into the PSR transformation. We haven't closed any yards. We haven't consolidated, uh, consolidated any routing options. We're pretty much a single-line railroad. We, we don't really have the, the options that some of the larger, more complicated uh, networks have to uh, to move traffic to certain locations, create density that might then make it possible for them to close yards. Uh, those are just some of the more obvious examples of things that other PSR railroads did that uh, didn't really apply to us. What did apply to us was uh, thinking about our scheduling differently, thinking about train link, think about uh, uh, service schedules, think about the way we used our yards. Uh, and uh, eliminating a lot of unnecessary handling, trying to streamline activities. We have eliminated congestion on our network. We have gotten out of our own way. I think when we really looked at the way we were running trains, we were bumping into ourselves all too often. So kind of a thoughtful redesigning of the network. We did bring in uh, uh, an executive who has significant uh, PSR experience, Sammy Fami, who uh, was part of the Hunter Harrison team at uh, Canadian National and then uh, at CSX for a period of time, mm -hmm. uh, to come in and, and really help us understand what is it that, uh, that, that given our network that could work and, and be effective in reducing congestion, rethinking how we design our train schedules, how we use our, our locomotives and crews, and so far we've had really good success. We're handling the same amount of freight, the same number of carloads, with 12% fewer locomotives and about 8 or 9% fewer cars, fewer train starts. Uh, we've reduced, significantly reduced congestion uh, on the line of road and in the yards, and our asset utilization, our cycle times, our transit times have improved significantly. We are handling the same amount of traffic with fewer assets and less cost. So you'd call uh, your implementation uh, of, of PSR a more measured, I guess, more measured approach, thoughtful even? I think we're approaching it differently. We're trying to be very thoughtful. Our grain business is a good example. 
we changed the service, we reduced congestion, we saw a very quick and noticeable improvement in transit times. We had excess cars fall out of that, uh, hopper cars. We made a decision not to get rid of them, but to hold them. And because we had this belief that there was more business than that we could, we, we could go after, uh, our customers were telling us that. So we held on to those cars for a period of time. We started to see market share increase because our service had improved. Those improvements, that improvement was sustainable and we kept the, the capacity to be able to generate more revenue. And this all ties in with uh, your mantra, which is sir, three great words, service begets growth. Let's talk about that a bit. That's right. It really uh, started to be very noticeable in the third and fourth quarter of 2018. And I won't get into all the reasons and the circumstances, but our service had, uh, had really begun to suffer. And, and I think it was in two earnings calls and probably three board meetings that I had to say the following words. There was more business available to us than we could handle because our service was not, uh, not, not adequate. For me and, and our executive team, we had a, a very strong belief and conviction that there was business available to us. We just needed to demonstrate that we could handle it. And if we did that, we thought the growth would be there and the, and the business would come back. So that was sort of the, the genesis of the phrase, service begets growth. Uh, high conviction that the growth opportunities were there. And I think actually Wall Street, even through that period of time, uh, the, the Wall Street community believed that we, we had this great, these great business opportunities. Best example uh, that really applied very uniquely to us and, uh, and to a lesser extent the other, the other large railroads was refined petroleum products moving from U.S. Gulf Coast refineries deep into Mexico as a result of the opening up of the Mexican markets uh, because of some, some congressional and, and actually constitutional changes they had made in their energy markets. Um, that was a real opportunity. Those markets were open, and, uh, and we knew there was a huge amount of interest on the part of U.S. Gulf Coast refineries moving into that market. Uh, we just had to get the service right. Those products wanted to move in Mexico. They wanted to move by rail. There's not sufficient truck capacity, nor is there pipeline capacity to move those. And it's worked out very, very well. That, in that case, refined petroleum products has been the single fastest growing part of our business for the last 12 to 18 months with growth rates in the 30s, you know, as high as 40%. And if we can maintain and sustain the type of service that we're, we're delivering today, there is more growth opportunities in that area. It seems to me, Pat, that the, at, the railroads are at what I, called, uh, what I call an inflection point. There's, um, you know, they're facing uh, things like in the future like, well, autonomous trucks, um, traffic mix is changing, traffic has been falling off, which is, which is cyclical. You know, what do railroads have to do going forward to stay relevant? The world around us is changing, and there's a lot of Wall Street uh, uh, buzz and interest about autonomous trucks, and I've gotten into arguments with a number of Wall Street uh, 
research analysts that uh, believe that autonomous trucking is going to have the same impact on the railroads in the future as the interstate highway system did 50 or 60 years ago. Uh, yeah, and you really can't dismiss that. We certainly can't dismiss it. Yeah. But what I will say is shame on us as an industry if we let that happen. And I think the, the real payoff uh, if, we, if we continue to go down that path and make the right investment, the right choices, would be a tremendous increase in the capacity that we can, uh, that we can get out of our network. Improve consistency, reliability, and resiliency of the network. And if we do all of those things and we create that outcome, I think railroads have a very bright future and not only will preserve our role, but we'll be able to grow it. Some, uh, some of the technologies that we look at and some of the uh, actions that we're considering are in the area of asset health, predictive maintenance, those types of things to get better utilization, longer lives, uh, and better performance out of our, of, of our assets. And autonomous operations is kind of a different bucket. And then there are other financial types of investments and innovations that we're looking at. We are a smaller investor in an autonomous vehicle company uh, that uh, is involved in looking at, uh, at kind of closed communities, think retirement communities, resort communities, those types of things. Uh, we're working on some, uh, some, some ideas and possibly a pilot looking at how could we use their technology at our intermodal ramps to manage dray and movement of containers within, within the fence, so to speak. Mm -hmm. And one of the, the ways I describe our approach right now is we're not looking for the needle in the haystack in terms of the big uh, home run type of investment in a single technology or single company. We're trying to find the haystacks. That means we're, we're looking for, for partners and for people who are uh, companies who are investing in similar types of technology, trying to leverage their resources and leverage our relationship with those companies to try to become more aware of new emerging disruptive technologies that, that apply to our business. Uh, a good example of that that's, uh, that you're very familiar with in the rail industry is TTCI. Yes. Uh, and there are lots of other examples from financial institutions, investment uh, uh, institutions to companies uh, like Siemens and GE and Wabtech, uh, all of those companies and many more we consider to be haystacks that we want to get closer to and understand what they're doing, leveraging their technology and their research and their, re and their resources to better understand what might apply to us. Pat, my experience with uh, Kansas City Southern goes back to the mid-1990s. Two things that come to mind never complacent, fiercely independent. You're, would you like to address those, or one of them at least? I would say the, 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 the nature of our, of our fierce independence has, has changed over time. So a big part of our strategy for the last several years, and this is really important, is uh, the way we can connect and our philosophical approach and our, our desire and our willingness to work with these other carriers to get to markets and offer our customers and their customers service options that we wouldn't have just based on our own network. 
the strategy of developing service options with our connecting carriers and our partners in the railroad industry is, uh, is a very important part of our strategy. I also think it is a really important part of our value proposition uh, to our customers is that independence. Uh, if you're a, an auto company building a new plant in central Mexico and you want service options to both railroads in the east, we're happy to do it. If you want service options to both railroads in Canada, we're happy to do it. Uh, and, and I think we are more valuable to our customers because of our ability and our willingness to do that. If we were part of a bigger network, it might not be so easy. Well, Pat, this has been very uh, uh, interesting. I would, I would say fascinating and uh, informative. And uh, we look forward to honoring you in uh, Chicago at the Railroader of the Year presentation in March. Congratulations once again. Thank you very much, Bill. As I said earlier, it's uh, truly an honor. I, I greatly appreciate this. Uh, it is uh, such an honor to be recognized with uh, the names on this list. So thank you very much for, uh, for recognizing me. You're very well. Thank you.